Good news, NFL fans. DirecTV has expanded NFL Sunday Ticket this season. If you live in an area where DirecTV service is not available, you can now get NFL Sunday Ticket without a satellite. To see if you're eligible, go online to NFLSundayTicket.tv and stream every NFL Sunday Ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code RINGER at checkout to save 15%. Exclusive student discounts are also available. That's again, promo code RINGER, R-I-N-G-E-R, at checkout to save 15%. And we're also brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. People could get hurt or killed. You could get arrested, incur huge legal expenses, or even lose your job. If you think drunk driving is no big deal, you couldn't be more wrong. Drive sober or get pulled over. Learn more at NHTSA.gov. That's NHTSA.gov. N-H-T-S-A dot G-O-V. Now, GM Street. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Monday. It is August 20th. And there is a lot of things going on in the world of football and beyond. And I am joined by the great Michael Lombardi. Lombardi, how are you doing? I am doing great, Tate Frazier. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, it is Monday morning. There is a lot of news that is uh, oh, that, that, that is filtering through the world of NFL football. A lot of, a lot of things to be discussed. Um, we want to talk about, obviously, the biggest storyline that has gone um, pretty nuclear this morning, I would say, and that is the helmet rule. And uh, if, if it should be subject for replay review, and obviously all the officials are talking, we got Richard Sherman talking, we got DJ Swearinger talking, we got all these different players and uh, former players and former officials, you know, coming out to the world. But we must say, Lombardi, it is preseason, so we do throw the flags uh, early and often. That's what the preseason is about. So don't fret right now, right? Wait, wait before yeah. the season starts. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's horrendous. I think they can't get it straight. I think the interesting thing about the helmet rule is not going to be the global view of the helmet rule. The, the, the fascinating thing is going to be how each crew officiates it. And what happens during the season, so you're getting ready to play uh, a game, and say you have Pete Morelli's crews doing your game. So as a staff, you study all of Morelli's calls. You look through his call sheets. You see, hey, he's the umpire on this cruise called, uh, on this, you know, holding seven times in seven games. You know, they call this, they call that. And you educate your staff on how they do it. Now, what I think is going to happen, taking it a step further, is now that you see Morelli's crew, how they called the helmet rule, you are then going to show clips of what they're calling. Because that's how they interpret it. This whole notion that we can globally factor in the helmet rule doesn't exist. It's the same thing with pass interference. When you're doing, again, Morelli's crew, you've got this back judge. Here's what they call. Here's how they handle down the field throws. Here's how they call pass interference. You educate your team on that as, a, as, a, as an official group, not necessarily as the Universal League. Because one thing we know for sure, they can't get pass interference straight all the time. They're not going to get this helmet rule straight all the time. So you have to look at how they handle it. And let's talk about it. So the competition committee is the group that came together and, and, and brainstormed this idea. That, you know, the ultimate goal is to make the game safer. That's what they continue to say with this. Um, in, in theory, uh, it is a good idea, right, you know, to implement this rule, right, in theory. But we're, we're talking about what actually happens on the field. And that's what Richard Sherman came out. And he said uh, that the rule is idiotic. Um, he would love to see people on the competition committee try to run full speed and not lead with their head, um, which I would love to see as well. I think that should be its own show uh, on the NFL Network. Just have the competition, you know, River on, <laughs> just all these guys line them up and see what happens. Um, but but we're at this weird crossroad now because the, the play is not currently reviewable, which is really why there's so much criticism. Because 
once a decision has, has been made, that is a final decision, right? That, that's the big issue. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, look, I think Richard Sherman's completely correct. I see it on college football Saturdays. I mean, they can't get that. Like, at some point, you have, if you've played the game, it's hard to move your head in just fractions of a second. I mean, it's impossible. So how can you do that? And I think that they missed the boat here. And replay is only going to add more time to this game. Mm-hmm. It's going to make it much more difficult. Look, I want player safety as much as anybody. But I think that they've got to really understand there's some situations you just can't move your head. And there's some that are fairly obvious. The other rule that I think is getting overlooked here, Tate Frazier, is the down-the-field block and offensive pass interference. I mean, they're taking away the quick screen game as much as they can. These pick plays, you can pick in the NFL within a yard of the line of scrimmage. So when we see the goal line and guys are picking down there when the balls say inside the one, that's legal. But after a yard, you can't do it. And I saw this weekend watching all the game tapes, I saw a ton of offensive pass interference calls. I think they're going to have to get that straight too. And is that something that you look at some of the teams that really uh, use those pick plays to get get guys open? I mean, the New England Patriots are are a team that definitely relies on that. I mean, do we see them trying to adjust and they're trying to adjust to the way that games are being called in this new season? I mean, Akeem Tlaib came out and said, obviously, every single year there's some sort of new initiative or some sort of new rule that we all have to adjust to. And we are professionals and we will adjust on the fly. So is that something that you expect the Patriots offense with McDaniels or they do something different to try to get away from those plays if they see they're being called more for offense? of pass interference or is it just you know keep keep with the same program keep it going and and just see if it gets called no i think they're going to have to educate their players and here's what they call here's what they don't call here's how they do it and here's how we have to teach it remember football is a game of teaching so the rules tell you what they're going to call so you have to teach the game the way the rules now what gets frustrating is is when you do that and you teach it the way they tell you, and they still call it, you got a problem. Mm-hmm. And then you can call the league office and, like, this is really bad. But for me, I, I think that you're not going to be able to, t- you're not going to change the game. They don't want linemen downfield. They're going to be very, they're going to be very hard on that. This isn't college where you can just run five yards downfield and start blocking. So they're going to be very tight on that. You just have to spend time every day with your team, head coach, showing the team this is what they're going to call, this is how they call it and educate your team that way. If not, it's going to be a problem. And it has been a talking point, I think, uh, just blocking in general. I saw the Jarvis Landry, uh, the big block he had coming across uh, that, that people were freaking out over. It was such a big hit. I mean, it, it seems like it's been more of a, of a talking point this preseason, more so than it has been in the past for whatever reason. Yeah, they were, they're trying to get it out of the game. I mean, most of the time, these pick plays, the defense is really complaining about it, and, and for good reason. I mean, there's a lot of times where you're like, whoa, what's that? That's not, you know, that's a pick play. You, you, you know, and coaches design it. I mean, look, oftentimes the umpire where he used to stand, the West Coast offense would run pick plays off the umpire. They knew where he was going to be. They would run the route, stem the route to where he was going to be. They knew he moved backwards or moved up, depending on who the guy was, and they would run the route accordingly to fit it on. So, again, once you tell me the rules, it's my job to figure it out. I think the best scene for any coach to watch in pro football is from Apollo 13, when, they, when all those astronauts are st- sitting in the room and a guy walks in there and he throws all this crap on a table and he says, we have to make this into that. And that's the NFL. You got to make this into that. And if they're going to call the game this way, then we got to adjust to it. That's what great coaches do. And I think that's what they'll do. 
yeah, professionals adjust on the fly, and uh, that's what we expect to see. Let's talk about a guy uh, that is a quarterback that is in year two, that is really uh, you know getting the nod this year as the number one guy. Obviously, last year the, the the waters were a little bit muddied with John Fox and the old regime, and and bringing in Mike Glennon, but Mitchell Trubisky, uh, the artist formerly known as Mitch, um, now is the guy in Chicago, uh, and we saw him Saturday night take on the Broncos. Unfortunately, his last pass was an interception, but he but he smiled after the game and said uh, that there's a lot to learn and a lot to grow from and it seems like this week Nagy is they're putting in a real game plan for him going into this final game against the Chiefs and they're going to let him call the game. Nagy said he's going to test the waters with Trubisky this week um, so we're going to see the the real Bears offense. Trey Burton's been a nice bright spot who they brought in from Philadelphia. He's been a nice target at, at tight end for Trubisky but this will be the first time we see this real Bears offense and see see where they really are um, heading into the season, right? Yeah, I, and I think this, and just watching Mitchell Trubisky play, I, I think I think he's got to run a very simplistic offense. I think he's got to run an offense that is high-low reach, a lot of play-action passes. When he's taken over now, so we all understand this, when when Alex Smith was running what Andy Reid has is what I call West Coast College, which is the West Coast College offense that Andy Reid took from Utah, from Urban Meyer, and he modified it into what favored Alex Smith's talents. So what he did here was he modified it. And so Alex Smith, when he came to the line of scrimmage, everything was checked with me. He was going to put him in a play. He had to change the play at the line of scrimmage. He had to change the protection. He changed the audit. He changed the cadence. He had to repoint the mic. There was about five things he had to do (laughs) in that 15 second when he got to the line of scrimmage. That was what made the Chiefs offense so effective. Can Trubisky do that from what I've seen in two weeks? No. And I think what, what Matt's doing, Matt Nagy's doing, is smart. He's putting the onus on Trubisky to see what he can do it. He's not going to be able to do it. Trubisky needs a lighter load. He's not going to get you in the right play at the line of scrimmage. He's going to have to rely on his athleticism. And what concerns me most about Trubisky is he sprays the ball. His accuracy at times doesn't seem perfect, and it's all over the place. And I think he's going to have to modify this offense because I don't see him being able to be the Alex Smith at the line of scrimmage. Now, I think Burton gives them a great dimension. They've got better skill than they've ever had. And that skill allows the quarterback to understand where the coverages are. That's what makes skilled players so effective. If you know you've got Gronk on the field and you line up three receivers away from Gronk and they've got a linebacker out there covering Gronk or they got you know they don't have a double on Gronk, that's not a hard thing to figure out. We're throwing the ball to Gronk here, right? It's pretty simple. I mean, this is playground football. And so the Bears do have enough weapons to handle it, but I think it's going to take some time for – for Trubisky to understand how to do all this stuff, and I don't see him doing it. And I've, I, I will say I have seen a lot of good reports out of camp about how much Chase Daniel, his backup quarterback in Chicago, has been involved in helping Nagy get some of those calls down to Trubisky and get him to you know disseminate that information to the rest of the team and to, to make the adjustments at the line. Uh, Trubisky is you know not a guy you know he's only made what seventeen starts in his career or something like that all time going back to high school in Mentor, Ohio. So th- there's going to be a learning curve with all this stuff as far as his time just being the quarterback on the field for a football team and that's what they knew when they took him number two overall and that goes back to the value at that pick at number two I want to ask you too about just uh, I mean Taylor Gabriel obviously is coming from a fo- returning from a foot injury so he's been out Allen Robinson we saw him for the first time against the Broncos that's a good, that's good news for Bears fans to have a, a real threat at receiver out there on the field for them so there are some bright spots and then obviously Tariq Cohen in the backfield is a guy that they have a nice little rapport They're, those guys came in as rookies together and, and showed good signs last year and unfortunately that was the guy that he threw the pick to uh, to end his night against the Broncos, but um, I, I think there are some bright spots with the Bears and Trubisky, uh, at least you know for for some Bears fans I, in the preseason to be excited. 
I'm trying oh, to be no, an optimist. I think there's no doubt. I, I think it's really <laughs> going to be a work in progress. I think it's he's not going to. What I'm saying here is he's not going to run Kansas City's offense. Yeah, he's, he's going to have yes. to run the Mitchell Trubisky version of Kansas City's offense. And the true talent of Matt Nagy as a head coach is going to be to figure that out. They're going to have to run the ball because Trubisky is going to be a play action pass quarterback. It's going to have to be high low reads. It's going to have to be very simplistic for him. He's not coming to the line of scrimmage to change the play and to get him in the right play and do Tom Brady and motion this guy over here, reroute the protection, make sure we got this. Who's not blocked? I know what I'm doing here. That that ain't going to happen. I'm just telling you that. I can tell you that from there. <laughs> it's still remarkable for me that they picked the, they picked Trubisky over to Sean Watson. I'm not bitter. I'm just being honest. It's remarkable. Imagine it if they had Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson on this team now. Mm-hmm. In Chicago, yeah, and I mean, he'd be like the yeah. Michael, the new Michael Jordan of Chicago at this point. Uh, and Trubisky, there, there is still obviously some promise there, and uh, a lot to watch in Chicago. I want to talk about Deshaun Watson and Jimmy Garoppolo because we saw those two guys go head to head and put up, um, <laughs> I mean, just some some flabbergasting numbers to to shock some people and get people talking about uh, just just to watch out for with those two. I mean, they look like franchise quarterbacks. It looks like the 49ers and the Texans have both found their guys and they came in and handled business and got out of the games and, and it was it was light work to say the least for both those guys. So just seeing those two guys, it looked like the future of, of quarterback in the NFL, at least for you know the next four or five years. Yeah, I'm so excited about the NFL. I, I don't think, I mean, I know we're going to get, we get caught up in a lot of other things in the NFL, the helmet rule, you know, the, the national anthem, all these things. And certainly some of this is important that we discuss. But to me, I don't think there's been a better time in the NFL in my career where there's a lot of young talent just ready to blossom. And I think Deshaun Watson and Jimmy Garoppolo, just watching that game, I don't care if it's the preseason, Jimmy Garoppolo made three throws in that game that are rare to make, and he did it in a matter of instinct. And same thing with Deshaun Watson. I mean, we're now entering into an era of the NFL. You can put Patrick Mahomes in this. Maybe he'll come through for it. Sam Darnold, perhaps Josh Rosen. There's a lot of young talent in this league to go along with some still good talent in Phillip Rivers and Tom Brady that still play well. You know Ben Roethlisberger. They, they, these guys still play well. It's to me, it's the best time in the NFL. And and Garoppolo and Watson were just wow. They were wow factors. And just the way he handled himself, Watson, you'd never know he's coming off an injury. Garoppolo's got complete control of the offense, and it fits him perfectly. I think it's an exciting time to be an NFL fan. It really is. I think the game is just going to explode with these talent. I think it's going to be a really challenge to be a defensive coordinator in the NFL to figure out how to stop some of these good quarterbacks. Because remember this, Tate Frazier, the only way to stop a quarterback is not through coverage. It's through how you rush the passer, how you control him in the pocket. And some of these guys are hard to control in the pocket. Mm-hmm. And, and we should say, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, I, I, I don't know when that revisionist history will happen when we start looking back at, at how that all played out, how he got traded out of New England. But I mean, they, they have to be kicking themselves a little bit, right, to see how successful he already is with the 49ers. And he's already making the, that team look like they're an actual contender, not only in the NFC West, but in the NFC in general. Right. That I mean. Yeah, I mean it's remarkable. I mean, look, you know, people say, "Hey, Lombardi, relax. It's the preseason." No, I'm sorry. It, it, he it, won five games last year. See, yeah, you can see in the preseason that are different. You can see it, and you know, and I think that the greatest indictment. I think Jalen Ramsey gave the 49ers really. He was not doing it as a positive, but it was the reality when he said that a lot of those plays that the 49ers ran were attacking our scheme. Yeah, that's right. That's mm-hmm. why Kyle Shanahan's so good. That's why Kyle Shanahan understands that when you play a Seattle-based defense or you play a Jacksonville-based defense, you don't run what we call beaters. 
you run plays that attack the adjustments in the coverage. You don't run beaters. You run what attacks the adjustments. That's what Kyle Shanahan can do. That's what Josh McDaniels can do. That's what really good offensive coordinators do. They just don't run the plays that beat the coverage. They run the adjustment beaters. Big difference here. And so when you combine the talent of Garoppolo with the talent of, with the talent of, uh, of Kyle Shanahan as a coach, the sky's the limit. Look, I think Sean McVay did a remarkable job. I didn't think it was going to happen with, with Jared Goff. He did a lot of play action. But really, when you break it down, McVay elevated that player to a level where he could attack the coverages and make it happen. And I think that that's really the difference. And that's why I'm excited about Garoppolo. I'm excited about Watson. I'm excited about the NFL right now in terms of where we are. Now, I'm not excited about a lot of the backup quarterbacks, but I'm telling you, the starting quarterbacks, if they stay healthy, it's going to be an unbelievable league. Yeah, it's a lot of quick rhythm passing, and it looks like, guys, that it comes easy to them. When you watch Deshaun Watson play, when you watch Jimmy Garoppolo play the quarterback position, it doesn't look like it's a headache or a burden on them. It seems like the ball is quickly getting out of their hands, and there's no concerns at all. Um, I will say this. One of the funniest things that I think has been going on, we talked about Trubisky earlier. He keeps getting compared to Steve Young by some of the local uh, Chicago Chicago uh, media people that keep calling him, you know, Steve Young. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, we can that's probably closer to a, a Steve Young comparison as far as uh, getting rid of the football and making it look easy. Um, so that's where we are. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to hit on uh, some of these other quarterbacks and some of the shocking news for uh, some of the rookie quarterbacks that are shooting up depth charts uh, heading into the final week of the preseason. Quick break to get a word from our sponsor, Yahoo Fantasy Football. This NFL season, be your GM. Be a winning GM. Turn this season into a fistful of epic wins by joining a Yahoo Fantasy Football League. Yahoo has spent the offseason making serious upgrades to enhance your experience. Upgrades like easier scoring, new trophies, and a buttery smooth app experience. So when you come to play fantasy football on Yahoo, the wins are as epic as the season is long. But to get in on the wins, you have to get in on the season. Yahoo Fantasy is also the only app where you can manage all of your season-long and daily fantasy teams all in one place create or join a league now at yahoo.com slash gm street fantasy football and we're also brought to you by direct tv for over 20 years direct tv has been the exclusive home to nfl sunday ticket the only way to get every live game every sunday Good news, NFL fans. DirecTV has expanded the service. If you live in an apartment or area where DirecTV service is not available, you can now get NFL Sunday Ticket without a satellite. To see if you're eligible, go online to NFLSundayTicket.tv and stream every NFL Sunday Ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code RINGER at checkout to save 15%. Exclusive student discounts are also available. That's promo code RINGER, R-I-N-G-E-R, at checkout to save 15%. And just like that, we're back. We are uh, talking about a quarterback in Buffalo, the rookie that uh, everyone has had their eyes on. He is a very tall, looks look very tall quarterback that looks good in the pocket. That's what you continue to hear about Josh Allen in Buffalo. Uh, unfortunately, we saw AJ McCarron go down with an injury, so he is out uh, indefinitely for the time being. And then we have uh, Nate Peterman, uh, the five pick Peterman, uh, the new Jake Delhomme. <laughs> Uh, he is right there in Buffalo as well. So Josh Allen looks like uh, the the guy that will get the nod to be the starter in Buffalo um, if if all things go according to plan right now. What, what do you think about Josh Allen as a rookie and what we've seen in the preseason and what he can do uh, in Buffalo starting starting out day one, which looks like uh, is possible at this point? Yeah, you know, I had a line when I worked at the Raiders. We were always a couple injuries away from being a good team, and I think uh, not. No disrespect to AJ McCarron at all, but. You know, I think that this is good for Buffalo. Buffalo wanted to go with a veteran quarterback. They wanted time for Josh Allen to learn. But I think Josh Allen shows enough skill 
Now, he's a wild athlete. I mean, he's got great athleticism. I thought his accuracy has improved in two weeks. It's going to be a work in progress. But why not start that work in progress now? Bill Walsh used to say this all the time. Let's lose games in September playing young kids because we'll win those games in December when it matters. And I think that's really the philosophy that you should take now in the NFL. Play the younger kids now. Let them develop. Let them learn. And if you're Brian Daybald and you're watching this Buffalo offense, you have to find a way to incorporate what Josh Allen can do because you're eventually going to build an offense around Josh Allen. You were never building an offense around A.J. McCarron. You're not going to build an offense around Nate Peterman. You're eventually going to build an offense around Josh Allen, just like Chicago's going to build one around Trubisky. Houston's built one around Watson, and Kyle Shanahan's built one around, around Garoppolo. You're building. Even Jacksonville's built one around Blake Bortles. They take him out of the game, basically. They try to eliminate anything he can do to screw him up. Mm. But for the most part, that's what you do. And I think this move, this injury, allows Buffalo to move it up. Will it make him a better team? Probably not right away. But will it make them eventually a better team? Yes. There was a time years ago, Tay Frazier, before you were born. You don't even remember this term. There was a, there was a, the, the Dallas Cowboys were famous for running the flex defense, which was when they kept defensive linemen, like a, kept them like two yards off the ball and kind of looked like they were playing in Canada. And when, when Tom Landry first became the head coach of the, tech, uh, of the Dallas Cowboys, he was running the flex. And everybody was saying to him, you can't run the flex. You don't have the players to run the flex. And he's saying, look, I'm going to install my system. I'm going to run this system because eventually when I do get better players, these players will be better. The system will work. And I think that's kind of what you have to do with the quarterback. You've got to put him in there and then install the system around him because eventually you're going to find out he can do it or you're going to find out he can't do it. And you know what? what's really good? Sometimes finding out that he can't do it because you have to move on. And I will say this. I mean, I think the most encouraging sign for Josh Allen, for people that have, have watched him play so far, is that he does have the ability to avoid tacklers. He's not a, you know, he's almost a, a playmaker in the pocket in and of itself. You know, he, he's not afraid to deliver the ball downfield and make a couple moves. I mean, they have him doing this little like small ball offense, like quick, short throws, get it out of his hand, creating creating a rhythm for him. I mean, they're doing all the things to, to make it work, to make it easy on him go, going in uh, to this season. So uh, if you're a Bills fan, you have to feel encouraged by that at least. Yeah, no, I think if the Bills fans, you're, you're excited. Look, I think Sean McDermott's a good young head coach. Mm-hmm. I think he's got a really good feel for it. His defenses are always going to be well coached. They're going to create turnovers. Do I think they're the most talented team? No, but I think they've got the right idea. He's culture first, which, you know, for me is most important. And I think that's what's going to separate them. And I think he'll do a great job eventually. Now, he's going to be some growing pains. Let, let's face it, there's going to be some growing pains for the New York Jets. There's going to be growing pains for every young quarterback that goes through it. You just got to live through it. Remember, this time last year, Houston played Tom Savage. And they only went to Deshaun Watson because they had to, not because they wanted to, because Savage was so bad. And I think that sometimes those injuries make you do things you're not ready to do, but it's probably the best thing to do. I just want to ask you too about, I mean, we got McDermott, Dermott, Shanahan, McVeigh, all these young coaches that are here that are offensive minds that are making it easy, easier on their quarterbacks and letting them, you know, sort of grow into the position rather than just throwing it all on the table and seeing what happens and letting them, you know, kind of throw themselves out of the league, which I think is very interesting because these young guys are, they're sort of courting them into the league, which is nice. Yeah, no, and I mean, McDermott knows he's going to be good on defense. He's, you know, one thing about Carolina's uh, style of defense, which is now in Buffalo, they'll defend the mm-hmm. run, they create turnovers, they're really good in the red zone, and if you don't get behind in games too quickly, 
this is the worst thing you can do is, is you get behind too quickly in a game, then your young quarterback has to start doing things and the burden of the game is, falls on his lap. That's not what you want. You want him to grow into the position, but there's things that you can see in these preseason games that are very clear that you can indicate that the guy got a chance to be a good player. And, and I think Josh Allen has showed enough that, hey, look, the alternative is Nate Peterman. Nothing against Nathan Peterman, but I think your future is with Josh Allen. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the future of the Denver Broncos because they're in sort of a, a, a similar predicament as far as, you know, they have to figure out who their quarterback is. They did sign Case Keenum uh, in the offseason. Uh, I think Saturday against the Bears, um, he finally kind of made it known that he there is no controversy in Denver at this point. I think Case Keenum is now officially going to be the starter for the Denver Broncos, right? Did he make that statement on Saturday? I don't know, but I mean, I don't think they have any option. Right now, we know Paxton Lynch is going to be... Paxton Lynch is in trouble making the team. Forget about being a second quarterback. I mean, he's played himself off the team the way you just watch him in the preseason. And, and, and you know, Chad Kelly's done a really good job. I think so. Mm. Uh, because I think he's shown that he's got rhythm to his game. He's got a great arm. He's got moxie. He understands how to play the position. He can read it out. Uh, you know, and so... Uh, I just think to me, you know, right now, Case Keenum's in that job by default. I think the question, John, I always got to answer is how good is Case Keenum? How good can this team be with Case Keenum run under center? And I think that's got to have them a little bit worried right now. And I just want to ask you, I mean, that is a team that is obviously, you know, they've built everything on the defensive side of the football. They take Bradley Chubb, they put him there with Von Miller. I mean, how much of a quarterback do they really need? Is Case Keenum all they really need just to facilitate to keep them in the game? You know, where we're trying to play a, a 25-minute game with our defense? I, I think to me, it's going to be, you know, he doesn't, like, look, so far this year, and I think there's times last year, Case didn't th- hasn't thrown the ball with accuracy and tough and from the pocket. Now, he did some great things for Minnesota, and they won with their defense in the running game. I think a lot of it's going to fall on, can they don't fall behind? How good is the defense? You know, when you get Von Miller back out there with Bradley Chubb, I think they'll be much better. But how good are they and how well are they attacked? I think they're going to face some good quarterbacks. Carr with, uh, with John Gruden in, in Oakland, they'll understand how to attack them. The Chargers know how to attack Denver's defense. And so I I think you've got some teams, and of course, Andy Reid, he does a great job of doing that. So I'm not sure you can just do the whole, well, we're just going to win with our defense routine. I I think if you're in Denver, the way Case is played, you've got to be a little bit worried about what he's looked like so far, because the the proven, we know Minnesota said, you know what, as good as Case played for us, we're not going to bring him back. And that's mm-hmm. got to worry you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and we've seen Denver make the big splashy move before. Obviously, the biggest one that comes to mind is Peyton Manning. But is there a world in which Denver is still in the market and we see, you know, maybe a guy like a Teddy Bridgewater or, you know, Brissett, any, any of these other, you know, second second guys that are sort of in the pecking order to get another starting opportunity? Is there a chance that they go after one of those guys if they don't believe Case is, you know, the number one guy in Denver now? I think if I'm John Elway, I'm looking at trying to solve this for the long term. I'm not sure he's, they're willing to do that since they paid Case a lot of money and they've got to give it a ride. It's too early, two games. But to me, I feel the league slipping away from me. I see Patrick Mahomes, you know, forget that he threw the ball 70 yards in the air. Just Patrick Mahomes' raw talent is something that you're going to have to contend with in Kansas City. And then you look at Derek Carr and you're saying, oh my gosh, this guy's really talented. So now i got two quarterbacks who have enormous arms and enormous talent that I have to beat twice. That's going to be a challenge. And then you look around the AFC and the NFC and see these young quarterbacks. It's an arms race, and you're getting behind in the arms race, and I think that becomes a problem. And I'm not sure that Case Keenum gives you that answer. And I think that Elway's going to have to make some tough decisions. Paxton Lynch was supposed to be the answer. He's not. Paxton Lynch is not worthy of making the team right now for me. Even if he's the third quarterback, all you're doing is basically 
protecting your draft pick because you're not putting them in the game. You're not putting them in the game. And what you're telling the rest of the team is you don't even have to play good to make the team. If you're drafted high, you'll make the team. That's not a good message. No, that, that does not stick. And I also want to ask, you know, Chad Kelly was the last pick of the 2017 NFL draft. Mr. Irrelevant is was what they get coined with that nickname. And we bring him into the league. He was a guy that was at Clemson with Deshaun Watson there before, ends up getting dismissed from the team, goes to Old Miss in the end, and now he ends up here. Is You talked about playing younger guys and just throwing them out there. I mean, if Denver goes in the season, feels like they're not an actual contender tender out in the AFC is there I mean could they just play Chad Kelly and just see what happens with the rookie and just throw it out there and see if it hits no I don't think they can because if they're not a contender then we know Vance Joseph lost his job mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't think always sees his team as a non-contender I think he sees his team as a defensive uh, defensive stronghold that he can win if he you know he plays in altitude I mean three of the first four games in Denver at home so they always seem to get that advantage they start early at home and they build that record and then you know it helps kind of facilitate the team's confidence as they move forward so no, I don't think those things that we're going to look forward are going to save Vance Joseph's job, or they're going to be. If they go to Chad Kelly, there'll be a new head coach going in there, and in, in sometime soon. And and even though I think Chad Kelly has shown enough, I think he should get a lot more reps. I think he's clearly beaten out this backup quarterback as the number two quarterback. I, I think it's going to take some time to really understand how good is he missing the year of football and what he brings to the table. Let's talk about another guy that uh, has a lot of eyes on him this season, uh, mainly because one of his top targets, A.J. Green, is going out to the world and letting people know that he believes he is one of the best receivers in football. And we don't hear much from A.J. Green, so he's getting a little bit of uh, publicity over here in this lane. But Andy Dalton is a big talking point, not just because, you know, about the Buffalo, uh, when they donated all the money to him, you know, for throwing that pick to get them in the playoffs. That's obviously his own story. But Andy Dalton, this is really a make-it-or-break-it year. I think we've said that the past three years, but this is really the the last the, the, it has to be the last line right for for Andy Dalton and, and him being the starting quarterback I mean, in Cincinnati when you watch him play yeah when you watch him play against Dallas you're just wondering has he got enough ability to lead this team I mean Dallas was playing fast on defense and you know Dalton was struggling to get first downs I mean it was a good it was a good test for him and he just really didn't answer it and when he plays against teams that are fast can he make those plays I mean I think the same thing has to be said about Bortles you know I know I pick on Bortles ad nauseum on this podcast but you know, look, when you watch him play against Minnesota against a really good defense and he struggles, you have to be concerned because ultimately you're building your team to win a title. You're building your team to beat somebody. You're building your team in the NBA to beat the Warriors. And can we beat them with this player there? And I'm not sure, you know, with Bortles or Dalton that you are. And especially when I look around the league and see some of these young quarterbacks, you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, we're slowly getting worse and worse just staying where we are. And I think it takes courage and it takes a conviction to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about the Chiefs offense and what's going on there. So we got Pat Mahomes that takes over for Alex Smith. Um, you talk about the college West Coast offense. We saw some big explosive plays. I think uh, it was like a 69-yard touchdown deep ball thrown from Mahomes to, to Tyree Kill. Uh, that got a lot of people talking about uh, what the, the Chiefs will look like now post-Alex Smith. Um, what have you seen from Andy Reid in the preseason? What have you just seen from this offense? I mean, it looks like there's more of the same, but Mahomes can do some, obviously, uh, some things in the pocket that Alex Smith didn't quite do with the long ball. Look, I think the Chiefs are doing one of the great high jobs of all time. I think they're working on an offense there at their practice facility that, that's going to be different than what we've ever seen. They're running the plays that they ran last year, but they know there's something that they're holding back, and I, and I would be worried to open up with them. The Chargers open up with them. I would be worried about them because I think they've got enough skill. You know, I'm not a huge Sammy Watkins fan, but they've got enough skill with their team 
that they can do some things to create matchups where Mahomes can read the coverage fairly well. They can run the football effectively. He can make every throw on the field. You have to defend every blade of grass vertically and horizontally with their offense and how they motivate it. Look, Reed's smart enough to know he's not coming to the line of scrimmage and he's going to just run whatever he wants to run and, and, and Patrick's going to get him in the right play. That ain't going to happen. So he's going to design an offense where he's going to formation you to declare what you're doing and then tell Mahomes, hey, here's where we're going to read this. We're here. We think they're going to play this coverage. I want you to high-low this. Same thing with Sean McVay did with Jared Goff. A lot of play action. You know, when you study Jared Goff, it's mostly all play action, and play action separates the defense and allows the quarterback just to utilize his skill set as a thrower to hit the open receiver, and I think that's what you're going to see in Kansas City. I would be scared to death to play Kansas City in the opener. I think they're hiding things that are going to create some problems. And I will say this about Kansas City. They, you know, it wasn't just the offense that, that, you know, hurt them last year down the stretch. I mean, they did not have people in the middle of that field to help them out. Derek Johnson was aging out. He was about 35 last year. And they replaced him with Anthony Hitchens. That defense looks like it's shirt up a little bit. And uh, I think that was, that's something to keep an eye on on both sides of the ball with the Kansas City Chiefs because I think they are uh, going to sneak up on some people this year. Definitely, uh, both on offense and on defense. We're going to take one more break here, and then we're going to come back. Uh, we're going to talk about how teams are managing all their quarterbacks this preseason, talk about some up-and-coming stars, and uh, talk a little bit about uh, Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald and where they are with their current contract situations. Quick break to get a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. Football is about to make its long-anticipated return to living rooms all across America. Hoorah! That means bragging rights and huge cash prizes are up for grabs at DraftKings.com, the leader in one-week fantasy sports. With one-week fantasy at DraftKings, you choose when to play. Draft a new team every week with no season-long commitment. At DraftKings, you are the GM. Just choose your player, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. No matter what your skill level is, there is a contest waiting for you at DraftKings. So if you've been thinking about trying one-week fantasy football, I know you have. Now is the time to play because nothing makes football Sunday more exciting than when you have a DraftKings lineup on the line. To celebrate week one, DraftKings is hosting a free team pick'em promo. Download the app or go to DraftKings.com now and use code RINGER, R-I-N-G-E-R. All you have to do is to pick at least half of the winning teams correctly and you'll win a share of a million bucks. It's not that bad. That's code RINGER, only at DraftKings, the game inside the game. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash pick'em for details. Back to GM Street. And we're back. A lot of preseason football this weekend. Uh, probably the biggest game out here on the West Coast. We are in uh, Los Angeles, California. The game that had all eyes was Sean McVay versus John Gruden, the ultimate showdown <laughs> in the preseason. Uh, both those guys had so many split shots and uh, on both sides of how they were running the games. You know, John Gruden's laughing, you know, got his own big, you know, piece of paper. He's writing down notes. McVay is, you know, very stoic, not moved by many things, very even killed the entire time. But it was very fun to watch those two guys manage the game uh, opposite one another. Um, but the, the bigger story, though, is just being able to see Jared Goff is obviously not playing in these preseason games. And that kind of comes to a larger discussion about how different teams manage their their franchise quarterbacks. And I want to ask you, Lombardi, you see Goff not playing. Uh, as a Rams fan, or that, is that fine by you, or is that just an interesting wrinkle where they just want to keep Goff healthy and get to the season? 
You know, I, 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 I go either way on this. I'm not sure. Like, for me, you know, Brady played a half in week two, and I thought that was the right thing to do. He didn't play in week one. I think he needs reps. I think he need game reps to play. And then this week he'll play into the third quarter, which I think he has to do. And Russell Wilson did the same thing. He played a half up for Seattle. I just think, to me, each coach is different. How much practice reps you're getting against other people. Now, in, in, in the Rams situation, look, they, they open up with the Raiders in the first game of the year. Like, the, like how bad is the NFL for scheduling a preseason game and and then the opening game. I mean, that does nobody. And then they talk about the quality of play in the preseason. I mean, really, seriously, that's just not fair. So, you know, they can't really show anything. They're not going to do anything. And for Goff to, to play or for or for uh, David Carr to play would have probably been dumb. So, you know, last year with the Rams, they played their guys a little bit in the preseason. Goff got some confidence. I think this week he's going to have to play, but everybody's managed them different. Now, for the Rams, you know, they practiced against Baltimore, so they had that work. So they were able to do those things, and I think that, that helps. Whenever you can get some, you know, the Raiders practice against Detroit, that gets them some help. So anytime you can do some of that, I think it, it alleviates having to play in the game as much. But I think ultimately game reps are important. It'll be fascinating to see how Goff does it. Because this, Tate Frazier, Everybody talks about it, uh, about it all the time. When you play in September, you know, these games are going to be decided in the last eight minutes of the game. Mm -hmm. Every team in September thinks they're going to the Super Bowl. Every team is playing their ass off for 60 minutes. You get in December, you know, some of those teams, they'll play for 30 minutes and then, okay, we lost. We're no good. We're going home. (laughs) But in September, there's a sense of urgency with everybody, and they're playing their ass off and conditioning is really the key component of winning games in September. It's the most important factor. And when you watch the games and see some teams that aren't in what, what, what great condition, you're saying, how are they going to hold up? I mean, September games are hot. They're humid. Mm-hmm. They wear you down. And you might play good for a half, but that last eight minutes of the fourth quarter are going to determine the outcome of most of these games in September. And if you're not in condition where your best players are on the field, you lose out. And the only way you get into football condition is to play football hard to do when you teach when you see teams don't condition during training camp you start to worry and does that concern you ever as a gm so say this is you know sean mcveigh this is his stance he doesn't think jared needs to play and he wants to keep him out is there any point where you step in and say i, I still want to see him in pads you know doing something else if he's not going to play in the preseason game i want to see him doing something to let us know that he, he's he's where he needs to be for for week one or is that or yeah, is that just no, too I far I think with McVay, I think McVay's got a plan. I'm sure he's talked about it. You trust McVay with his plan because he's done a good job. Look, McVay's smart enough to know that what he did with the Rams last year, he's got to change a little bit. He's got to alter. He knows people are on to his plays or what he wants to do because they've studied the Rams. Look, there was no team studied more in the offseason than the Los Angeles Rams. Every team in the NFL broke every play from the Rams down. They wanted to know what Sean McVay was doing. They want to know how he did it, how he called the game, what he did. So they've been well scouted throughout the National Football League. Now he knows he's going to have to adjust and modify a little bit, and I think he's just holding back on those because he can't really show them too early. They got off to a fast start last year. They were tough to play. I think that that really played in their favor. And this year I think he needs to understand that, hey, look, here's what I'm going to do and here's how I'm going to play it. I just think he got dealt a bad hand second preseason game against the opening team you got to play not very good yeah and uh, I want to talk about the Rams since we're here and we're talking about Wade Phillips on the other side of the ball I mean uh, Keep Tlaib did a, a sideline uh, interview during that game against the Raiders and 
they were asking him about, you know, what, why is it good to play with Wade? And as Wade finds, you know, your strengths, put you in positions to, to, to look good. Basically, he knows what you're good at and wants to make you look good. And that's why people like playing for Wade. But I just want to ask about that defense. We're waiting for Aaron Donald to come back. We obviously have Peters. We have Tlaib. We have Indomitian Sue. We have so many personalities that are now on that Rams defense. And it's obviously going to be a new look Rams defense once the season actually clicks in. But, but what is the Donald situation now? Because it, it could be one of those things where we don't even see Aaron Donald, right? If this thing continues to drag out. Well, we were told, you know, Les Snead said about a week ago or two weeks ago that it was getting close, and, I, and that's nothing that I'm hearing from the people I'm talk, talking to around the NFL. It's not close, and Khalil Mack's not close at all. I think Khalil Mack has a better chance to be traded. I don't think Aaron Donald will be traded, but I think Khalil Mack, I think if somebody's willing to do it, the problem with trading for Khalil Mack is twofold. You've got to satisfy the Raiders because they're going to want a first-round pick, and then you've got to go over and pay above $20 million, which is typically quarterback money. I mean, we know Mack wants north of $20 million. You're trading for their headache, right? You're, you're trading you're for trading those... for their problems. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. And, and it's not going to go away. Now, you get a good player, but now you're paying $22 million, let's say, if you acquiesce to him. Or Aaron Donald, you know, some people think he wants close, he wants in the mid-20s, does he? I don't know. I haven't heard that. But he certainly wants a lot of money, and you're going to have to pay it. And I think for the Rams, you know, he's he's such a dominant part of their thing and that they have to have him because that inside, he'll make Sue a better player. Mm -hmm. And I know Sue's got a dominant reputation and he can destroy things when he's going and humming, but Donald's a different kind of guy. He plays hard every single snap. So, you know, these are one of those problems that are just not going to go away. I do see the Raiders trade Mac eventually because they're either going to rent him or trade him. Those are the two things. The Donald one, they're going to have to pay. My question to you about the, the Aaron Donald situation is, obviously, we're, we still have Goff on the rookie contract until 2020. This is good news for the franchise. You're, you're, you're basically playing with borrowed time at this point. But what if Donald is just your quarterback, right? I mean, it, it, maybe he's not the QB by position on the depth chart, but they say, this is the guy we're going to give $25 million. This is the guy we're going to give $20-plus million and say, okay, you're our franchise player. Why does it have to be Goff? Right. But they gotta have to pay Goff. They're gonna I mean, they're going with Sean Mannion as the backup quarterback. I mean, if they lost Goff, as good a coach as Sean McVay has proven out to be, they're gonna have a hard time winning games with Manning. I don't care how good they are on defense. You know, they need a backup quarterback there too. So eventually they're gonna have to you know, they gotta pay Goff. And they think Goff is a top ten quarterback, even though we we know, I know, he was the worst <laughs> quarterback in the playoffs last year by QBR rating. And when he played against better defenses, he wasn't as effective. And when he has to throw the ball to his right, it's not the same as when he does. So I, I'm not down on, I'm not killing Goff. I just think to me, I don't see Goff as paying him in the top five quarterbacks in the NFL, but I think the Rams have to do that because that's the way the Rams see him, not the way I see him. So I think they're kind of locked themselves in a corner because eventually you got to budget your team around what you have to pay. You can't put your head in the sand and say, oh, well, we'll pay golf when we get to it. No, you got to build your team around his salary, around Donald's salary, and around the other guy's salary that you know you need on the team. So we're getting no Brady. They could have a hundred million dollars tied up in three players. Imagine that. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. But we're getting no Brady discount from Goff, right? He's not going to come out and say, "I, I don't need the 25 to 30." I think this year is going to. I think this year is going to say a lot about it. I think this year is going to tell us a lot about that. Is does is it is it McVeigh? Is it Goff? You know, I think it's going to tell us a lot about it. I really do. It's, it'll be interesting to watch. And also, you mentioned the Khalil Mack uh, trade situation. Is there any team that? kind of stands out to you as a team that needs a pass rusher? I mean, I, obviously the Dallas Cowboys are a team that always comes up in any sort of conversation like this, but a, a team that legitimately could use a Khalil Mack to make a real run uh, at a championship, having an elite pass rusher like that on their team. Well, I think to me, anytime you, you, you have you go after a Mack, you got to have a quarterback that can get the lead. So Mack's mm-hmm. the perfect complement 
to a really good offense. So, like, say Indianapolis was looking, they need a pass rusher. They need more athleticism. They would be a perfect fit for Mac because they need that. Detroit, even though I don't think it fits what Patricia does on defense, would be a nice fit for them. Green Bay, you know, to me, yeah, Green Bay would really use mm-hmm. Mac because they get Rodgers to get the lead and they need a dominant pass rusher where the protection's going to slide to. And who, how are you going to get that? So that could shift the balance of power there. Hey, look, Seattle could use it. Seattle right now, to me, is behind defensively. They're not the same team because their defensive front isn't as dominant as it once was. So, but I don't think they're going to trade them. You know, I, I would have a hard time thinking that the Raiders would do that, but Seattle would do that. But I think it's going to come down to a team that the Raiders feel will have a high enough pick to satisfy their need and has, has that huge need. Yeah, so we'll keep an eye on that. Let's talk about some of the just up-and-coming guys, some some names that you may not know that are sort of standing out uh, in the preseason. The first name I want to throw out is a name that you brought up, uh, you know, dating back to the draft and beyond, James Washington uh, with the Steelers. He is he, he continues to prove that he is going to be a perfect fit up in Pittsburgh, and I know that you love watching him play, and he's shown, you know, uh, five catches, 114 yards, two touchdowns. Those are the stat lines he's putting up in the preseason so far. Yeah, I mean, I thought the guy's been sensational, and I think he's only going to get better. Juju Schuster's there. You know, he's going to get the ball. I mean, people say, well, how's Washington get the ball? Well, look, everybody's going to double Brown. The ball's going somewhere else, and I think and Washington can go get the ball. Those 50-50 catches he can go make, and I think he's smart enough to fit right into the offense. I think that was a great pick. I thought it then. And, you know, look, I think this Anthony Miller pick in Chicago looks like he could be mm-hmm. a really good player. I think there's a lot of good young receivers that you're seeing around the league that look like they have some talent. I mean, that, that's the good thing about these preseason games. Guys get a chance to compete and make plays for the ball, and you've you, you got to love it. I, I think Carson, on the running back for Seattle, I thought he looks like a legitimate big-time running back watching him run against the Chargers last week. I thought he was great. I want to bring up one other uh, young rookie wide receiver, or not a rookie, he's in his second year now, but a guy we didn't see last year as a rookie, and that was Mike Williams with the Chargers. I know this was his only catch that he had had, but he had this 25-yard ridiculous acrobatic catch uh, for a touchdown, and that was his one reception of the night, but it just showed the signs of this guy is a top-10 type talent, and he might you know, keep an eye on him. Kenyon Drake is another running back you, you brought up, uh, Carson in Seattle with Miami. I think Kenyon Drake has looked like a real uh, legitimate back down there in Miami is another guy that stood out to me. Um, it, there, there's a bunch of names. I mean, Patterson with the Patriots, right? I mean, I think he's he's so. I mean, Cordell's science. a guy yeah. that you know he's got all the talent in the world. You know, they threw him a bubble screen last week. He got a touchdown. He's hard to tackle, big guy, hard always to get lined up with him and Britt. I think Britt's fallen too far behind to make that team now because he's been hurt with a hamstring. But Patterson has proven that you know they can utilize his skill set on those on the quick game and maybe vertically down the field to give him somebody who could replace what Cooks did a little bit of. I mean, what people forget about the Cooks thing. Cooks was good at running vertical routes for them, wasn't very good with the ball in his hands, and wasn't good against press. Patterson's better against press and can still get vertical. Um, And one more name. This is a defensive name that I I have to throw out there. This is a little bit of a homer pick. You'll be upset about this. But MJ Stewart uh, with the Buccaneers uh, forced two fumbles um, early on uh, against the Titans. I I think he's another name that's really uh, kind of shocked me. Uh, He's played so well from what I've seen of the Buccaneers. Um, Are there any other names defensively that have stood out to you? There's a kid at Houston that I started watching. Seth Payne was telling me about him the other day. And, you know, I start watching Houston's tape. And, I mean, look, if you're the Houston Texans and you didn't have a first-round pick and you didn't have a second-round pick, you know, you, you didn't have very many draft picks. And then all of a sudden, in, in the sixth round, you pick a kid named uh, Duke Alujo uh, uh, Ojafer or something like that. I, I'm mispronouncing his name. The guy's been unbelievable. He's covering kicks. He's making tackles all over the place. I, you know, he's going to be part of their front seven. I mean, he's clearly going to make their team. 
And, you know, when you get that kind of guy in, in the sixth round, you're saying to yourself, whoa, wait a minute, that's a, that's a three-run homer right there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another guy to add to this already good Houston defense, which is coming back. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and we sort of just go around. I mean, some of the other rookies that have stood out, uh, Deron Payne, a guy with the Redskins uh, that we remember from Alabama and what he did in the national title game. He, he's had a good preseason so far, showed some signs. Um, and, and I want to talk about maybe two guys that – are uh, almost lost in the shuffle at this point as we get so close to the season. That's Adrian Peterson, who is now going to go and report to Washington. Um, and then Des Bryant, who is still out and about in the world, and the Cleveland Browns are a team that's still flirting with the idea of bringing him into their to their wide receiver room. But those two guys are two huge names in the football world, but they're still free agents, still not signed, even though AP, I think, just just signed with the with the Redskins to help them. They have so I mean, many if I'm injuries. AP, I would, I would, before I'd sign with the Redskins, I want to guarantee that I'm going to make the team. The worst thing that can happen to AP is that he doesn't make the Redskins. Then his career's over. You know, I would want to make the deal that I'm making this team before I sign. I guaranteed my deal. It's guaranteed. I'm on the team. And, you know, because he's not going to do the things they need him to do in a passing game. And does he have any gas left in his tank? And then Bryant, to me, and I said this back in April when he got cut, Bryant needs to be in a camp. I mean, Bryant needs reps. He needs to get in condition. He needs to do the things that will help make him a receiver. He could be such an effective. You know, Sean Payton did a great job of inventing a position. It's like this inside slot receiver. Anquan Bolden did it for Baltimore. You know, uh, it was Colston, right? The Marcus Colston position. Yeah, Col- Mark Colston did it. It's that position. It's not a tight end, and it's not a really a wide receiver who can win on the end. That's really what Dez can do right now. Go inside, show toughness, catch the ball against maybe smaller defensive backs, and win down the middle of the field. And that would be the perfect spot for him. But if he's not in a camp, it's hard to get him trained to play in there. It's not as easy. He's always played on the right side of the defense. He's always played outside. You know, he hasn't really done that. So every day he doesn't sign, he wants to make it or break a deal then he needs to get into camp because the longer he's out, it's only going to be hard on him. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's something to keep an eye on. We'll see what happens. Obviously, uh, we're going to be talking about hard knocks when we do our Wednesday episode. Uh, we'll break down what we see in that episode to see if uh, the, Dorsey brings up the idea of bringing in Dez. Obviously, Josh Gordon will be back in camp in Cleveland, so that'll be something to watch. We've been doing these updates uh, as far as like the, the worst team, <laughs> in as morbid as that is, the worst team in the NFL uh, as we yeah, go I through it. ESPN ran a study. They said Miami was, they agreed with me that Miami was. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think to me, it's going to be hard to predict this because there's so many bad backup quarterback situations that it's going to be hard for me to imagine a team, you know, could win a game if they lost their starting quarterback. Yeah. What is CJ Beathard going to do if Jimmy G goes down? You know, I mean, that, that'll change uh, we've everything. We've seen that before. They didn't win a game. We <laughs> saw that before. They didn't win a game. Absolutely. So you're going to stick with the Dolphins? The Dolphins are the team? That... I'm on the Dolphins right okay. now. I'm still, I mean, based on what I've seen in the preseason so far, you know, I, I, I'm not sold on, you know, I, I think Miami's, you know, I, I don't think there's, you know, I think Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay is my pick. Even though I'm not in love with Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think they'll come back and compete. I, I just, to me right now, I think Miami's got some holes on defense. They can't play, a, they're not physical on defense. They have to play a certain way. And I think it's going to be tough on them. Look, I think if Cleveland doesn't get their situations handled at quarterback, you know, they're they're always going to be in play here. But for me right now, I would say Miami. I think Washington's a dark horse just with the with all the injuries. I think they just have a lot of injuries coming out of camp. Uh, they always do. They're not yeah. in good shape. I mean, nobody wants to talk about it, but they're not in good shape. The Redskins team is not in good shape. I mean, they're not demanded. I mean, look, Jay Gruden's got, you know, he's running his offense, but if you talk to anybody around the league, attention to detail is not happening in Washington. So, 
I think that's a good call, Tate Frazier. If they, and they lost a lot of guys last year, you yes. know, and part of the reason they lose guys is because they're not in great shape. Yeah, we've seen P. Ryan go down. I mean, the, the entire running back room for them right now is pretty much out of commission, unfortunately, uh, if you're a big Jay Gruden fan. We will be back Wednesday. We will be talking hard knocks. We'll be talking uh, random storylines around the NFL. And we're getting close, Mike Lombardi, to the start of yeah, NFL we are, football season. Yes. Looking forward to it. Of course. We'll see you Wednesday. This has been GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. People could get hurt or killed. You could get arrested, incur huge legal expenses, or even lose your job. If you think drunk driving is no big deal, you couldn't be more wrong. Drive sober or get pulled over. Learn more at NHTSA.gov. That's NHTSA.gov, N-H-T-S-A dot G-O-V today.